everybody welcome back to witch fix today we're looking at another one in the bailey kate's bakery magical bakery mystery series lord what a mouthful pun intended uh, i think this is the fourth book it's called some enchanted eclair and eclairs do feature in the story although not to any degree of importance the blurb is when Hollywood invades Savannah's historic district to film a revolutionary war movie, magical baker Katie Lightfoot and her witches coven, the Spellbook Club, take a break from casting spells for casting calls. <laughs> One of the witches snags a part as an extra, while Katie's firefighter boyfriend Declan acts as on-set security. Katie and her Aunt Lucy decide to stay out of the action, but after their movie's fixer fires the caterer, the honeybee bakery comes to the rescue, working their magic to keep the hungry crew happy. But when someone fixes the fixer permanently, and a spooky psychic predicts Katie will find the killer, the charming baker and her fellow conjurers step in to sift through the suspects before someone else winds up on the cutting room floor. There's a lot of puns in that blurb. Pretty pun-heavy blurb. Now, these books kind of follow a pattern where, like, the murder will happen basically on the, the first day covered in the story but then that first day will go on for like over a hundred pages and then subsequent days will go past a lot faster as the investigation progresses um i quite enjoyed the third one i think it was charms and chocolate chips i really enjoyed the story i enjoyed a lot of the magical elements that were introduced i was having a great time with it and to be honest my expectations coming into this book were probably too high which is why i was a little bit disappointed the mystery itself is quite interesting. There's sort of two mysteries to solve. One is obviously who did the murder. And the second one is who poisoned a batch of cookies that made one of the crew members sick, very, very sick, uh, shortly after the murder is committed. So a lot of interesting mystery stuff up in the air. We also have the presence of a psychic, um, the idea of like contacting spirits from the other side as well. So quite a lot of interesting stuff going in. And we do find out some more about Declan. So this is going to get a little bit spoilery. But basically, during a seance, Declan is possessed by a spirit of one of his Irish ancestors. And we find out from the psychic that Declan is a natural medium, meaning that he can channel spirits, which is kind of cool and interesting because we've had this thing before where obviously Declan is the normal human man who, who Katie is dating. And then on the other side of this, I'm going to call it a love triangle, even though no one likes Steve, um, is Steve, who, who has magical powers, who is part of this network of druids and who appreciates sort of the magic side of who Katie is, which is basically the one thing he has to offer. And yet in book four, Declan already kind of is, is gunning for that position of, of magical man in Katie's life because we find out that although Declan has sort of not wanted to embrace this by the end of the book he's kind of accepting it and although still not very happy about it seems to like be moving into a place that is more um, open-minded to this gift. Annoyingly in the in the story about his family history this Irish relative is apparently a leprechaun according to family myth fun fact I had like a whole series of episodes where I went through like my favorite and least favorite episodes from every series of the original charmed because I watched a, a lot of them when I was doing my like painting and decorating of, of objects uh, and then I deleted them when I reformatted my computer because I thought to be honest I, I don't think anyone's going to be interested in these maybe I'll record them again if you guys would you know, like me to do a series on the old school Charmed. 
But what I talked about in, in one of those episodes was how I disliked the introduction of other magical creatures. So for a while it's just like, you know, witches, warlocks, demons. And then it hit this sort of point uh, just after like Paige was introduced as a character. And I love Paige. She's probably my second favourite sister after Prue. Um, but her arrival did sort of mark this turning point where suddenly we were dealing with mermaids and nymphs and valkyries and leprechauns. And it felt like it got a little bit silly and a little bit fluffy and not as kind of dark and interesting as it once was. So I already have this kind of, I'm not going to say anti-leprechaun vendetta, but they're not my favourite. And then this book comes along and is like, oh yeah, Declan's related to a unicorn. A unicorn? <laughs> Now that would be something, but no, a leprechaun. And uh, it, it kind of gave me a wobble. I was like, oh, please, God, no. Let's not have people fetching up in this town. Like, next book, I don't want to see a lawyer who is also a centaur. Let's just not go down this road. And it feels like by the end of the book, that has been rolled back a little bit. And it's just like a little family joke because he was an older guy and very, very short. And they just thought he was a leprechaun in, like, a funny jokey way if it comes back and it is serious i am like 90 percent done with the series i can't i cannot i cannot take it seriously if that is the case but there we go that was my first wobble and unfortunately the bigger wobble was i felt like the mystery story had done something that i really can't abide in, in mystery stories and it kind of ruined my enjoyment so um i'm going to talk about that there, there will be spoilers for the plot here so basically, the murder in the book is the fixer, the sort of on-set manager, who's called Simon. And he gets stabbed in the back while setting up a wine and cheese evening. And he's found under a table by, you know, Katie and various other members of the cast. And then they go through everyone's alibis and work out where everybody was. And they kind of go through the different steps of investigating and it's obviously implied by the blurb and a little bit implied by something in the story that this has something to do with this new caterer and various secrets around that following various leads and, and looking at things like that and I was sort of feeling it around I was trying to find out who I suspected and then the book did something that really annoys me uh, when mystery books do this and it's kind of like this fine line between misdirection which is good that's what you want in a mystery you want you know people thinking oh it's definitely the caterer and then wham it's someone else and the other side of that is just lying and i think sometimes it is kind of hard to distinguish between the two but like it's misinformation to have one of your characters go like someone would have to be able to hold their breath for an awfully long time like longer than humanly possible to get to that um diamond at the bottom of the lake i don't know i'm just spitballing here and then maybe in a different scene somewhere like in the book you just casually have the main character notice the swimming certificates on the wall of someone's house and your audience is going to go aha this person is really good at holding their breath but then maybe it's not them. Maybe we find out later that someone has secretly got an oxygen tank in their car. And there's some sort of hint about that later on, like maybe a receipt from a diving supplies place. But these are like things that you could conceivably work out as a reader. So it's misdirection, but it's still giving you the information so that by the end of the book, you'd be like, oh, no, 
I noticed that detail and I didn't think anything of it because I was so busy looking at something else the author was doing that, that it just didn't click in my brain. And that's a good mystery because it's something you could conceivably have worked out for yourself, but also the author skillfully led you away from and was like, actually, all that stuff that you were looking at, I was doing other stuff behind the scenes. And this brings me to the lying. In the like terrible <laughs> plot that I have just created to try and illustrate my point, imagine the same story. You know, you can't humanly breathe that long to, to get down to the diamond in this mythical lake. And then maybe we just at the end get told, oh, Jed was a scuba instructor or he was half frog the whole time. And that just comes out of completely left field and you're like, but you said definitively that Jed was a normal human man. And now you're telling me he's part frog. And there was never any like signs like maybe his bed was real slimy or he liked to eat flies. This is a weird novel that I've invented. But you see what I mean? You, you, you get to the end and it's like, nah, actually he's an alien from a completely water planet. And you're like, wow, that came from fucking nowhere. How was I meant to know that and work that out? It feels like a cheat because it is a cheat. It's just the author withholding information, not even teasing it, and just saying at the end, like, oh yeah, this thing, aha! Because it's kind of easy to surprise your reader with a mystery that you haven't told them all the details of at the end of the book. And this is what happened in Some Enchanted Eclair, because on page 275, the concept of a memory wiping potion is introduced to the series for the first time. It's discovered in uh, a small bottle that Katie finds while digging around the set and she's like, this is a weird clear liquid in a bottle that smells funny. And then forgets about it for like a little while, but like she found it fairly close to, to this point. And I was thinking, okay, maybe this is what was put on the, the cookies that made everybody sick because we had already been told it was a strong emetic, so like a, an actual thing that would make someone sick. Maybe this is what is being stored in this bottle. But no, we get told on page 275, actually, this is a memory potion. Which is not something that had been in the series before. We, we were aware of spells, we were aware of like putting cinnamon in cookies to make people lucky and successful. But the concept of there being actual magical potions with these kind of effects had not been introduced into the series. So how were we meant to know that that's what it could be? And I was prepared to let that go. It's like, oh, this is just a thing that's being introduced now. But it turns out to be not only integral to catching the killer, but also integral to the actual motive of that killer. So it turns out that one of the people who has had an alibi the whole book up until this point actually doesn't have an alibi. That alibi was created with judicious application of this forgetting potion that we didn't know was possible. So around page 267, which is oh, like 10 or so pages before we find out about this forgetting potion, Katie goes to the cheese shop that's been mentioned all book as, you know, an important plot point with this whole like wine and cheese evening. The main actress on the film is obsessed with wine and cheese for a very odd reason. I don't know what to tell you. She goes to this cheese shop and talks to the cheese shop owner who tells her basically the same alibi that this one guy had which meant that he couldn't possibly have done the murder. And her daughter, or stepdaughter, is like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't here then. And her mum is just like, yeah, he was. And it seems like they have two completely different memories of the timing of these events. 
And then like 10 pages later, we find out, oh yeah, it's this forgetting potion. And it just feels like this is a bit of a cheat because not only did we not know that this potion was something that could possibly exist in this universe because it's not something we've really previously been introduced to as a, a thing. We were told at the beginning, here is this guy's alibi and we've had no reason to question it for over 250 pages. So it feels like it has just been withheld from us until right at the end of the novel where the author can just say, oh yeah, actually, he wasn't there and he used a forgetting potion. And on top of that, like the whole motive thing, like obviously if someone has a motive, you can reasonably think of them as a suspect. His motive is essentially that the dead guy was a, a druid or witch who made this forgetting potion and that's how he managed to fix all these situations that he's meant to have fixed for people. And that the murderer stole some of it uh, when he was younger and the dead guy was having a relationship with his mum. Uh, to make a girl at school forget a bad first impression that he had with her but his mum accidentally drank it and because he hadn't like given it a, a magical focus of like what it was meant to erase it basically erased all of her memories of him so she knew that he was her son but had no recollection of like important emotional events and no like real emotional attachment to him this is all revealed like super late stage in the game so it's sort of like this sort of magical thing has been introduced and it's not only how the crime was committed but it's also why the crime was committed and it just feels like a massive element has been kept out of the story. And I kind of sort of sat there after I'd finished reading it and I was a bit disappointed because I like to be able to work out at least some of what's going on or at least have worked out what I think is going on and then be wrong but the evidence that I was looking at was actually, if you looked at it slightly another way, really telling of who the real killer was. And this book didn't really give me the chance to do that. And I was sort of sitting there thinking, like, how could this have worked a little bit better? And I think maybe if, because we, we meet Simon the dead guy at the beginning of the book, when he's not Simon the dead guy, he's Simon the alive man. Uh, and he comes into the, the cafe to talk about them catering. And it would have been interesting if maybe we could have seen some evidence that this potion had been used on someone already. Uh, and then it could have been in the back of your mind, like, well someone else already forgot something so what's that all about maybe that could have been like a secondary mystery uh, like maybe Katie has this kind of annoying pointless neighbor who's just like there to be kind of cutesy and to have kids around and I don't really like kids so I kind of view her as an annoyance but she just pops up occasionally to have pointless conversations with Katie about food, recipes, and child rearing. So maybe she could have, like, damage to the front of her car, and Katie could be like, hey, how did you damage the front of your car? And she could be, like, weirdly vague on what actually happened, and Katie could be kind of confused and concerned that her friend might be, you know, losing her marbles a little bit or something a bit weird's going on. And then maybe she could notice that the... Um, back of the dead guy's car or the front or whichever there is also some damage and that maybe he was involved in this sort of prang with this local woman and rather than get it on his insurance because maybe he'd been drinking or maybe he had something to hide about where he was and where this accident took place he could have just given her like said okay well let's get a cup of coffee and talk about insurance you look really shaken up and given her some of this forgetting potion and that could have 
been introduced into the plot in that way and have the reader thinking all through the book there's this weird thing going on with this guy who's dead now but obviously something weird we do find out he's a magic user later perfect time to bring up the fact that it might have been a forgetting potion and then when it comes at the end like actually some of it was stolen and used to create a fake alibi it doesn't come out of left field like he's a frogman but more like the culmination of something that's been building in the plot uh, and then it would have felt a little bit more organic and a bit less like something had been just dumped on top of me uh, at the end of the book, which was slightly disappointing. As for who I actually did think did the murder, I'd kind of worked out the cookie thing and who was responsible for that. We find out some information about the, the new caterer as well that makes it clear that although something is being hidden about them, it's not like a murderous secret, it's more like a secondary secret that is not tied into the main murder plot. So the guy who was the killer was actually one of my two suspects, the other being like the director of the movie, who was just absent quite a lot and because people weren't talking about him I kind of thought maybe there was a reason for that. So it kind of annoyed me as well that I had this idea that it might be this guy and I couldn't work out how or why he'd done it because of this thing that was being hidden from me. So that kind of tempered my enjoyment of the novel a little bit and I hope it's not like setting up a pattern for future books in the series that, that this is going to be kind of more prevalent. It was kind of a shame as well because there is interesting stuff brought up in this, not just the Declan thing, but some stuff about Franklin Tate who was in, I think, Bewitched, Bothered and Biscotti. He was a police officer who just appeared for that one book, was very suspicious and very sort of accusing towards Katie and then right at the end revealed that he goes around punishing bad magic users and thought that that's what she was doing and then tells her that she's a light witch. So one book on from that, she goes, actually, that guy who told me this thing that's quite massive about me and my magic, he didn't really tell me a lot else. I'm going to try and track him down. And then she finds that no such person exists, which is an interesting mystery. I'm, I'm interested to get to the bottom of that. And then she finds out that whoever it was, he's dead because he contacts her by this psychic who is, who is around uh, on the film set. And he says right at the end of the book, through this psychic, he's sending someone to teach her about what she is because he's sort of failed at being a guide. I'm starting to worry that we're never going to get to the bottom of how he managed to die. Maybe it was just natural causes, but it would still be nice to know. Uh, but it's like an interesting direction for the book to take. Obviously, this new magic character is going to turn up and teach Katie a bit more about what it's like to be a light witch. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I like the whole Declan reveal, uh, sort of interesting developments about him as a character it was just a kind of a letdown that the main mystery of the mystery novel felt a bit cheapened by the the tomfoolery going on in in the background i think the next book in the series is magic and macaroons uh, i've had a quick look for it but i can only find super expensive copies that are like sort of 12 pound which is more than it costs new so i'm gonna hold out on that one for a bit and, and try reading some other books from different series uh, but I'm still enjoying this like magical bakery mystery series. It's just that this one book gave me a bit of a wobble. But I'm looking forward to finding out more about Katie and Declan and the sort of lore of this universe. As long as it doesn't contain leprechauns, we will be fine. I hope you've enjoyed this review. If you'd like to recommend any other books or book series or pre-warn me about the existence of unicorns, 
leprechauns. Why am I confusing those things so much today? But get in touch. You can do so in the normal ways by Twitter or Instagram or in the comment section on the YouTube version of the podcast or by email, which I promise I do track on an almost monthly basis because I'm a professional. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye.